Hi, everyone. You are listening to the DMZ America podcast. Coming to you from the left, I am editorial cartoonist Ted Rawl. And I'm Scott Stannis, and it's Wednesday, June 1st, 2022. And you are coming from? The right. That, that would stand to reason. Yes. Although, <laughs> although if it was like MSNBC, it would be like, coming to you from the corporate left, I am. And so coming <laughs> to you from the corporate left, I am. <laughs> and from the corporate left, for a change. <laughs> and we also have a former military advisor from the corporate left. <laughs> God, I, I got to tell you, if I was a Democrat, I'd be so pissed off at the party right now. I mean, you had all these opportunities to codify all these things. Uh, uh, you could have codified Roe v. Wade. You could have codified um, gun control. You could have, cod- I mean. Yeah, well, you know, it's like in 2009, mainly, right? 2009 to 2010 for four months. Democrats had a 60 vote supermajority in the United States Senate. They had full control of the House of Representatives. Um, they absolutely could have passed pretty much anything they wanted. Um, I, I, sh- I should take out that qualifier. They could have passed anything they wanted and they chose not to. Uh, you can go back and just pretty much Google the subject, right? Like 2009, Obama, Democrats, not a priority and then put in like abortion rights or uh gun control or any of these issues. And you'll find some article about Obama and Democrats saying, well, we really don't think that abortion rights is a priority (laughs) at this time because we're sucking our own assholes. And so, uh, no, there's like literally no good reason uh, except that, you know, you know what it is, it's like the Democrats in late 2009 were they were like a dog who had caught a car uh, and they didn't know what to do with it. I mean, they literally were a party that didn't have an, an ideological agenda beyond just wanting to be in power. They didn't want to change the world. You know, it's not like FDR when he came in in 1933, he had a whole giant slate of things he wanted to do. Ronald Reagan had a giant slate of things he wanted to do in 1981. Newt Gingrich had a giant slate of things he wanted to do in 1995. It, it's, you know, this, Basically, uh, you know, these are this was a party that like Obama was like, well, I've been elected president, so I'm happy. And uh, and that was it. And, 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 you know, so now, you know, to hear Democrats and that's not the only time, but it's the most notable time in recent history. I'm not going to totally agree with you. I think, too, they made a political calculus that if they were going to pass, you know, uh, the Affordable Care Act, all the other stuff had to be put aside. Right. They did think that it was very strange, though. I mean, look, healthcare has been like obviously a major problem. Harry Truman tr- tried and failed to do something on healthcare. Um, it's been around. But, you know, Obama became president in the middle of a, a major economic meltdown. And, yeah. and it was weird because, you know, it's January 20th, 2009. You know, the U.S. economy was bleeding 500 to 600,000 jobs per month. At the time, people are losing their homes literally by the millions. Many of them, my favorite, are the people who lost their homes, who were completely paid up on their mortgages, and the banks decided to foreclose on them and take their homes. Literally, they had not missed a mortgage payment, had not been late. The bank, the bank's like, you know, you've got a nice looking house. We could sure use that. And like they were illegally foreclosed upon. That happened all the time. So did it anyway. 
I'm did. not familiar with that. Oh, story. it's a, it's a crazy story. So anyway, the thing is, they they ended up. Uh, so so Obama comes in. You know, you'd think I thought, well, he's going to be like FDR, New Deal 2.0, right? Um, you know, that's that's the situation. Instead, you know, he the, the, we get these stories like, well, he's really studying up on what Abe, you know, studying up on like race relations and reading books about like what Lincoln had to deal with. I'm like. You're not the rate. You're a black guy, but rate. You're not a. You, you know, racism is not the top priority of your administration. Economic recovery is the top administration uh, policy. Yeah. Of your, uh, you know, priority of your administration because of what's going on. He missed that, and you know, by all accounts, including Biden's, uh, they understim and, and and Obama has admitted it. They understimulated the economy, and it took eight years for the economy to come back when it should have taken two. And and you know and then also they kind of missed like all these other issues you know like for sort of like with the Affordable Care Act oh you know they promised a public option but they didn't push for it and now you can really see how we really needed it I mean it's like we would have been better off without any healthcare solution because that would have left an appetite for healthcare um, but instead we're sort of in this state where everyone sort of feels like well healthcare has been resolved politically even though. The Affordable Care Act is a disaster. So, you know, you're, so, so it's kind of like not, there's no political will to do anything about it, even though the problem is just as bad as it was before 2000. Yeah, I don't. I, and yeah, I think a couple of points. They, I think they felt they could get some bipartisan support if they didn't have the single payer um, uh, component. That's right. They really were hoping they and could. And they had Lieberman. Lieberman was the Joe Manchin of, of, of his of that time, right? The, yeah. Yeah. And it's so weird because you just think that the, the opportunities they had, I mean, again, on, on an agenda I wouldn't have agreed with, I would cartoon vehemently against, but still, I like I've said a million times on this podcast, I like good politics and I like people, I like po smart politicians who do smart things. And that was just a missed opportunity on the Democratic side. And they could have done so much more and they didn't. And that's why I think they uh, had incredible political capital too. President Obama is going to go down. Obama was so popular when he came in people, when he took the oath of office, he had like a 62% approval rating, which means that a lot of people who voted for McCain Palin had to come around to supporting him. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that he, he will go down history as a very mediocre president in terms no of his, in terms of his actual, uh, he has he has he has historical symbolic historical resonance, but little else. Yeah, I would I say his other major accomplishment is simply having um, you know served for eight years without a scandal, um, which is not a small thing. No, it really isn't. Um, and the Republicans still sneer at it. Well, what about that time that, that he? Wore what? the tan suit. <laughs> and all I can say is we will rebuild. He always, and he always did look good. Apparently, they say that Obama always wore off the rack um, suits. No. Um, is that not true? He's no, he, had, he had a tailor in Chicago. Oh, really? Yeah. But it, was, but it was. He could, a, have worn, he could have worn off the rack suits. He was a he looks like a like a coat hanger. His body's so thin. Like, yeah. Yeah, he looked good. I think I think President Biden, when he's not, you know, oh my God, Biden looks great. As long as he's as long when his mouth isn't moving, man, he looks great. And he's got, you know, he stole his granddaughter's sunglasses. I think that's kind of I mean, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about the. I mean, I am partial to aviator glass sunglasses myself. Um, I don't like. Are the you really? I don't like the teardrop ones that that he uses. Um, you know, I like the square, the more squared off, like state highway patrol ones you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah 
yeah I, I i wear those and they i think they look i like them i like the way they look on me you know maybe everyone's like god look at that asshole but <laughs> it's only for but i wouldn't wear it like you know it, it's just just for driving just for driving um, or the beach <laughs> so apparently some got some news happened this week yeah so um yeah so of course uh you know we're so we're going to talk first about the school shooting in uvalde texas that claimed the lives of uh 19 uh well 19 uh school children elementary school children uh second third i mean i think they were like second third uh graders and uh two and two of their teachers i mean you could arguably claim uh you know say that it claimed the lives of of, of 22 people include if you include the shooter himself um, which, uh, you know, you can argue about that one way or the other. Um, and, uh, and, you know, obviously, I know, Scott, you, like many other people, me included, have just been absolutely aghast at the, I would say, non-behavior of the non-responding uh, yeah. first responders. Yeah, this isn't a first time, Ted. I mean, this has happened. We're going all the way back to the Texas, uh, University of Texas Tower sniper. He's up there you know, shooting people all fucking day until they finally uh, got some cops together. And it was kind of haphazard. If you've ever seen the history of this thing, um, they didn't at the time, you could say they didn't have a protocol for this, such a thing. So they didn't know what they were doing, but Columbine, remember we watched on live television that one, uh, the, the, um, uh, the teacher who was hanging his arm, he was bleeding profusely and hanging out the window and eventually crawled out of it and just sort of thumped on top of one of the roofs and died. He bled out. Yeah. Had they actually had, you know, the whole idea has been, the whole um, myth was that the police officers are there and they're willing to take a bullet for you. I've said it. Uh, I think I've said it on this podcast that I really think that's amazing. Well, it turns out not so much. <laughs> yeah, that's not really true. Also, don't forget in uh, Parkland, uh, in Florida, also, there was the uh, school security guard uh, police officer who uh, armed, who also refused to go in and confront the shooter. So uh, so it's there's sort of a long string of these events, particularly school events, school shootings. But obviously, you have to know that it's happened in other hostage type situations where the cops have, well, you know, uh, there's a there's a shooter. You know, there's, an, there's like that old joke where like there's a, a young cop, uh, a rookie. Uh, partnered with an old with an old cop and they chase a suspect down the street and the guy and the suspect dodges ducks into a really scary looking dark alley and uh the the the, the rookie catches up with his experienced partner and uh, he finds his the, his partner outside the alley look searching around and he says oh you know you know why are you bob why are you out here the the suspect ran in there and he goes yeah but it's it's scary and dangerous in there and so it's like um that seems to be kind of the uh, you know, obviously that's happened a lot. It's, there's a there's a tendency when you're a police officer responding to these dangerous events to just say, you know, maybe uh, I need to set up a perimeter here in order to control the crowd. And right. And and the videos of the cops, what they were doing to the parents. Now, you and I are both parents, many of whom were armed because it's rural Texas. Yes. Well, and just Texas. You don't have to add the rural part. <laughs> just, just Texas. Uh, but you and I are parents. We would, I, you know, you'd really literally have to sit on us and handcuff us to keep us from going in there. That's true. It's arrogant. Well, the police and they could hear the, the they could hear the gunfire coming from inside the school. The I mean, it's just absolutely torture. 
And this is and this is coming to light is that the reporting today, the police chief whose name escapes me right now was going to be sworn in as a city councilman. I'm not sure why or how or what that accomplished. Uh, they actually uh, uh, said that in, in light of what we're what's happening here, the mayor said we're actually not going we're going to postpone the swearing in of, of this police chief and the two city councilmen. Ted, they, they did it anyway. Well, they did it behind closed doors. They said there was no ceremony. But this, the laws of Texas say that anything like that has to be done in public for obvious reasons. Right. Um, and so I think you're going to find that the stink of Yervaldi and its corrupt politics is going to you know, it's a relief. It's a nostrils. good point. Let's not forget the cover up, which it's interesting because it's well documented, but people don't really comment or dwell on it. I mean, the cops, it, it is a fact that the authorities lied to the public about what had happened. They talked about how. Uh, you know, brave. Thanks to the inter the interfere the intercedence of uh, brave law enforcement officers. This this the 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 suspect was felled and uh, and many lives were saved. But that's not true, and they kept saying it for a long time, right? Like I think this the official story for hours and hours and hours. It, I think going into like the second day, third day, was that the cops had done their job, and we now know that's not true. I mean, it's kind of like. Why did they do that? Did they know the truth and then not say it? I mean, or, and lie, or did they just not really know and they just lied. sort of and they just sort of assumed that was true? They lied, which was still a form of lying. They lied. Yeah, they just well, lied. And what we're finding out now is when the mayor how, says, "How many other times do they lie in these situations?" Oh golly, <laughs> how many times have we seen uh, unarmed black men who were you know they said, "Well, he was armed. He was dangerous." He was, and by the way, what's with the hodgepodge of, of of agencies, customs and border enforcement, you know, uh, you know, ICE, and um, you know, I mean, Uvalde has its own SWAT team. Why do they need the custom, the border patrol, to come and in, involve itself in the SWAT it's team really that was bizarre. still mustering up, you know, you know, to to, to take action? Forty percent of that city's budget goes towards the police officers. Forty percent, and they have a SWAT team. Yeah, like why? <laughs> And they have these like, you know, this like, you know, the hot guys of SWAT, you know, poster yeah. picture. You've seen this yeah, where they're I've all, seen all we've all seen it. Yeah. And they're all steroided up and they've got their gear, you know, their bulletproof gear on and there's, you know, the, the Robocop black and silver shit they wear. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, you, you and I agree on this for very different reasons. We do. And that's the police, uh, police action, police force in America, because for me, the police are nothing more than the enforcers of a of a corrupt state to effectively, really, they're enforcers. They're the guys who come into your businesses, nice grocery store you got here, be a be real real shame if something happened to it. No, that is true. Like That's they, what they are. He's a nice car you got here, be a real shame if it had to be impounded. Yeah. You know, and they, they and that's their function. I mean, as a libertarian, the police are- That is their function. And you can really tell that historically, for example, you know, as you know, I'm a huge student, as you are, of like World War II and, and Vichy France and- you know, I mean, like, you know, the French police before uh, 1940, they, they were dutifully working for the, uh, you know, Democratic, Republican, elected uh, Republic, French Republic. They stayed at work in 19, from 1940 to 1945, uh, working for Vichy and for the Nazis. Um, you know, same cops, uh, but they're like, you know, new bosses, new orders. We follow their orders. We Now we round up Jews and send them to camps. Then it's like, 1945. Oh, the Allies are coming. Oh, okay. So then they arrest the Germans and, uh, you know, save Jews 
and then go back to work for the Republican authorities uh, of the of the Republic of France. I mean, you know, it's like they are the st they are state enforcers. What you're saying is 100 percent historically accurate. Um, but so the thing these is, guys, if that's your job, if you're the enforcer, I mean, they're bullies. I mean, they're that's the kind of person. I mean, it is Chicago part of your job that you are supposed to you are supposed to, uh, you know, rescue children being. Yes, that would by, be by like, lunatics. I, I put that near the top of the list. And the fact of the matter is they're bullies and they acted like bullies. Once you punch a bully in the nose, they back down, they go away, they get scared. They figure, oh, I can't bully this person. These situations are someplace where they, they aren't going to be able to bully, but they it definitely demanded direct, immediate action. And the fact of the matter is the police forces aren't willing to do that. And I have a theory about that. And I was curious okay. as to, you know, so uh, these days, uh, really in the last 20, 30 years, uh, the police have disproportionately recruited, uh, taken new recruits uh, from the ranks of army and other military veterans. Right. They, these are people who uh, volunteered to go to places like Afghanistan and Iraq. They came back and then they're looking for work and they apply to be cops and they have a, And, you know, there's even actual programs that advantage them you know, officially to, for, for these jobs and police officers like, uh, you know, police chiefs like them because they're like, oh, these guys are steroided up They're um, you know, they have, ex they have combat experience. They know what it's like to take orders. Um, so, you know, they, so it's no longer officer friendly. Uh, you know, it's not like, you know, yeah, it's not like that at all. And uh, they're, so they go to, um, you know, and so I think the deal is, though, the today's military, uh, they have a uh, warrior mentality, obviously, because they're warriors. Um, and then I think it's, a, and you know, everyone who's involved in police reform uh, says that the cops need to transition to a guardian mentality where they, you know, instead of being told, uh, you know, at the academy, the most important thing for you to do is come home to your family safe and sound every night. Uh, they should be told the most important thing for you to do is for your is for the other citizens that you're there to protect and serve to come home safe and sound to their family every night. And your life is secondary, and that's the oath you take. And so you're guard you're out there to guard the public. You're not there to to you know have a, a warrior mentality. But that's not many police departments don't have that. And you can just tell by looking at the cops. I mean, they you know I mean they're wearing Kevlar. They're uh, you know they're I mean like like where I used to live in Eastern Long Island, you know, they had a decommissioned armored personnel carrier. God, uh, Southampton has a uh, armored personnel carrier in case, uh, you know, the bougies ever rise up against the super wealthy. <laughs> um, um, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. And um, so, I, yeah, I, I think it's the, I think it's the, they really need to stop recruiting from the military. Uh, you know, they need to get, more intelligent, like thoughtful people who are who who are really motivated because they want to help rather than people who want to boss other people around. I mean, I think being in the military should actually be held against you uh, mm. when for applying to be a police officer, because being a peace officer is not the same thing as being a soldier. It, 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 being a soldier is actually bad experience for being because you view everyone as a, and everything as a potential threat. And uh, whereas like, you know, the truth is 99.999% of all your fellow citizens are not a threat at all. They are taxpayers who pay your salary. They are your friends and you should treat them that way.
I couldn't agree more. The militarization of the of the police forces over the last couple of decades. Um, you know, you, you mentioned they 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 get the surplus of, you know equipment uh, from war zones, and, and in fact, the military has. Uh, I think you can use a you can use a piece of machinery for six months, and you must replace it. Uh, it's something like that, and I imagine that probably varies from a piece of equipment to equipment. But let's say uh, vehicles, and so there's a person I've met who her husband runs a company that they, he buys surplus Humvees, fixes them up, and so, makes them street worthy and sells them. But what's happened too is that police departments get first dibs on this stuff, and other elected officials. And there was, I think, it's St. Clair County. I could be wrong here in Alabama, and you know, St. Clair County is exactly what it sounds like. It's this rural, very rural, very in the middle of nowhere kind of county. Uh, and the coroner got a fully loaded Humvee, fully loaded. I'm thinking, do corpses put up that much of a fight? Is he expecting the zombie apocalypse? Yet. Not dead yet. Uh, I mean, it's just, and it's stunning. So like I was driving yesterday, I was driving, to, I had a meeting downtown. I was on the, I was driving out of my little subdivision and suburban cop you know, is right, right on my tail. I mean, he's, he's, we're just happy to be driving at the same time. Mm. Now ask yourself this question. If you totally disagree with Ted and I ask yourself this question, when you're driving and there's a cop that a cop car just by happenstance comes and it's right and it's behind you. Do you feel safer or do you feel threatened? Do you, do you find your anxiety going down or do you find your anxiety going up? And I guarantee you 99% of the people who you ask that question to, if they're honest, will say my anxiety goes up. Of course, because like at even if you're, you know, white and Republican and all the right things in our society, you're still going to be like, well, uh, what if I get a ticket? Yeah, which again comes right back to my point, which is they are the enforcers of, this, of the state. Oh my God, my my right rear tire is is underinflated, or I have a light out, or something, and that's that's ka-ching. that's money to them. That's yeah, money. literally. Yeah, literally. It's so I mean, you, I can count on the fingers of one hand uh, positive interactions like that, where uh, the officer pulls me over and says, oh, you know, do you know you have a light out? No, I didn't. Oh, well, you should get that fixed. Have a nice night. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. Um, but normally, um, you know, yeah, like you said, you get a ticket. Um, you know, if you're really lucky, they might give you, you know, a correction ticket where it's like, well, if you get it fixed and you send in a copy of your bill, then there's no with the right. ticket. But that doesn't happen that often. I mean, that shouldn't be. I mean, just think about like, for example, here in New York, I'm sure this is true in, in states across the country. Um, they have these automatic scanners um, that that take a pic that sit on the street and they take a picture of every car that's going by <clears throat> and they scan your um, auto your inspection and this the sticker in your windshield for your inspection and your registration to see if it's up to date and if it's not up to date it automatically takes a picture of your uh, you know drive of your license plate and mails you a ticket so you literally just by driving by it's not like, like they don't even have to commit a police officer to pull you over and write you up. They literally are like, got you, you're, you're, you, I literally have bitten written up by one of these things because my, uh, my registration had expired like two days earlier. And it's like, instead they could, you know, and they won't even send you a reminder. Think about that. Like the state knows that, you know, when your registration's expiring, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they could send you a letter that says, you just automatically says, Hey, your registration's up you know, 
renew, send in this coupon. They don't because they don't want you to. They don't want you to say, oh, you know, you're due for an inspection. They want to write those tickets. It's just about revenue. Well, here's the number one and most egregious example I can come up with. And it sounds so harmless. Unmarked uh, highway patrol officer uh, cruisers. That is designed for no purpose other than to ticket people. Right. Period. It's it's, True. it's 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 designed for no other reason than to extort you and me from our money. Period. That's its only function. That's it's true. not to, it's not safety. Safety safety. They don't give a shit about safety. That's that doesn't. If you have a, a marked uh, highway patrol cruiser on in the area, people are going to slow down. Yeah, that will increase safety. Yes, but this does does no other reason than to raise money. We've kind of run on a little long on this segment. So do you want to cut break for a minute and we talk about we talk have about our, our solutions for guns, which okay, is cool. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, everyone should listen to and will not. Okay. So uh, we'll come back in a GIF. Okay. Bye. Stick around. Okay. So we're back and uh, you know, everyone else is doing it, Scott. So we might as well uh, throw our uh, highly qualified <laughs> as, as cartoonists. We are experts on gun violence. Um, uh, so have you ever been held up? Oh yeah. Uh huh. I have. You have? Yeah. Mm-hmm. At gunpoint. Yeah. At the, yeah. <laughs> and at knife point, you know, for variety's sake. Oh, um, well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was held up at gunpoint uh, twice as a taxi driver in New York. Really? Yeah. Either time, did you feel the guy was a real threat? I mean, obviously, our gun. So, you got <laughs> uh, yeah, I was. Uh, I I was absolutely. Uh, it's interesting that you should ask that question because um, the the one guy I was far more afraid of than the other. Um, I I assessed him. Well, I mean, there was context um, at the time. Uh, there was a basically a serial killer who had been. Uh, he was killing taxi drivers like right and left um, all over the place. So basically what was going on was uh, this guy who was uh, the report said that he was a white man, a young white man was uh, robbing taxi drivers and then shooting them and then fleeing. And uh, so I was held up by a guy who fit that description. So given the context, I was terrified. Um, And then another time I was held up, it was almost comical. I, it was, I had like, I've had such a shitty day. He was my second fare. Um, and he's, uh, and he pulls me over in Brooklyn and he goes, and I'm like, dude, all I got is $12. And he goes, I'll take it. And I, so I just gave it to him and then he left and that was it. But I wasn't scared of him somehow. I mean, obviously at had a gun and anything could happen. I was scared. I was scared, but I wasn't terrified the way I was of the first guy. I mean, there was something in the eyes of the first guy yeah. that I, I'm look, there's no proof. I'll never know. It's impossible to know. I may well have been wrong, but I was, I'm convinced that he was that guy, the killer. Oh, really? I'm convinced, but you know, I mean, uh, that's just, you know, whatever we live on our instincts and sometimes our instincts are right. And sometimes they're wrong. So how yeah. about you? Have you ever been? Yeah, it's a long story. A bullet point real quick. My wife's father owned a, uh, owned a drugstore. Uh, he was taking the day off as a Saturday and my, my mother and my aunt had gotten tickets to a play, which I did not want to see. So Janine said, I'll go if you work for me. And I said, okay, I'll work for you. And that was the day that these two guys decided to hold the place up. One with a 45, the other guy had a shotgun. Uh, they had us get on the floor and Oof. the guy with the shotgun was very skittish. 
and that's terrifying he's, he's hovering over us and i was just, just like yeah so i had the perennial your whole life going before you know in front before your eyes and happily it ended they just left with the money and the drugs uh so yeah that was terrifying so i've i've kind of been at, i've had i've been at the uh, the business end of a gun before it's uh, no no fun at all no it really is not i've also been shot at in afghanistan or i should say maybe more to the point in the direction of bullets coming my way um, Wait, what? Well, in Afghanistan. Yeah, I know. But what? what why? I don't know that I've heard this story. Oh, on several occasions. Um, well, once I was at the front and there were, you know, the Taliban were down the street and they were shooting at our position. I was on the uh, well, sort of tagging along with Northern Alliance soldiers. Um, and so, you know, there were bullets coming by and, you know, it's, you could, you, it was, you know, clear. Um, oh, my God, I'm getting one of those stupid uh, Zoom things the year this meeting will end in 10 minutes so we may have to this is this is getting to be really annoying i don't understand why this keeps happening but uh anyway so um we'll probably have to do a break up the segment but just fyi so yeah and then also uh one time uh i was ambushed in afghanistan uh we were in a car or more accurately in a truck and uh, we managed to get past the, the checkpoint, but then uh, the, the soldiers, Northern Alliance, opened fire on us, and uh, they were shooting at us, but you close enough that you could hear the bullets whiz by. Oh, oh, oh! And if, yeah, and like a few months ago, here in New York City, um, I got there were uh, I went to check on my car, and and uh, and someone shot randomly down the street, and the bullets zinged by on this on the sidewalk, not far from me. So, <laughs> so yeah, guns, okay. guns, guns. So yeah, we have a, and now we have a country that's full of them. Um, They're talking about the number, I was listening to uh, NPR this morning and the number of, I think it's AK-47s or something like that. It's in the hundreds of thousands or millions now of people who own them. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. So, okay, now we have yet another mass shooting, this one, 19 school children. You're President Rawl, I come in, you have, you know, what do we do? Well, First and foremost, uh, so first of all, there's some, obviously there's been some suggestions of intermediate things that could get done. You can't rent a car in this country unless you're 25 or 26. Um, most, many of these shootings, a disproportionate number of them are done by, uh, you know, 18 and 19 year olds. I would, I would move the uh, purchase, pr the purchasing age for any firearm, I would say to 25. Uh, that's the first age that a, you know, that basically psychologists agree that the judgment center of your brain is, is done. Uh, and, you know, there's a huge drop off in like kind of insane, weird, judgment free decisions that occurs after the age of 25. But if you can't pull that off, at least pull it, say 21. Hey, if you're too young to get a beer, uh, you're certainly too, you're too young to have a gun. Um, I think also, the AR-15, which um, people who are in favor of gun control should stop calling that. They should call start calling it the M-16. It's the same exact gun as the M-16 that was the standard um, assault rifle issued to uh, combat veterans, uh, combat troops during the Vietnam War. It's the same gun. And um, that is, uh, you know, I, I think those guns should be prohibited. They have no purpose whatsoever for hunting. Um, they should just be banned. Uh, you know, and like if you own one, I, I think the government maybe don't send another $40 billion to Ukraine, <clears throat> have a government buyback program, um, you know, mm -hmm. it's, and, and just say, look, uh, you know, you paid $400 for, for this gun, we will pay you $400 to turn it in. No questions asked. 
we don't care where you got it. We don't care if it has a record. We don't care if it was ever used in a crime. No questions asked. Um, uh, you know, there's just too many guns out there. Uh, I I think we should. We also really do. Republicans are right. We do need to do something about uh, you know mental health. Uh, the we have a huge mental health crisis in this country. We don't have mental health parity uh, in healthcare in health insurance. Um, we should get serious about it. Uh, if you want to see a talk therapist, if you need a psychiatrist and you need meds, you should have access to that uh, for low or no cost in the same way that you should have that for physical ailments. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it is studies have shown that most school, sh most mass shooters uh, indeed have uh, diagnosed or undiagnosed uh, uh, psychiatric conditions. So it is not a complete distraction from the truth. And then, you know, finally, then there's something a little bit more, um, uh, I, I would say, airy, uh, which is I think we need to seriously st uh, start thinking about ways that we can reach out to people who are deeply alienated. Instead of having a culture where we throw people away, we reject people who are like weird, off, crazy, stupid, um, whatever, that we start thinking of ourselves in a more communitarian way. And, uh, you know, they call it red flag laws, but that kind of makes me uncomfortable because it's like, oh, human being is not really a red flag. And like, the thing is, the concern is they're just going to use these laws to like nail people who may or may not have done anything wrong or may or may not be planning right. to do anything right. wrong. Uh, I don't like that sort of um, minority report kind of approach, but I do think there should be a uh, more of a, um, you know, we should be, frankly, we got to care about each other more, but we do instead of just saying, oh, this person's fucked up. I'm going to avoid them. Uh, it's like, oh, this person's struggling and is facing a challenge. You know, what, how can we reach out to help? I think the mental health is by far away. The, the one place where we can all say, yeah, we need to, well, I would say we can agree, but apparently the Republican party cannot in terms of funding and expanding mental health facilities, mental health help, um, our mental health system, as bad as our just general health system is in terms of its functionality, mental health is even worse. Um, we continually cut back. I mean, Chicago, Chicago, you've been to Chicago. You've seen the street people. You've seen the homeless. You've seen the, the sad souls, some of them who- A are, month ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've seen it. And Chicago cut back its health under Rahm Emanuel. God love them. Uh, cut back the uh, health, the mental health by like 70%. What could go wrong? Well, just to save money, right? I mean, yeah, of course. I, I mean, mean, the well, thing is, I mean, the look, mental health, the, the mentally ill don't have, don't, they don't have, they don't have lobbyists. They don't have, they don't have advocates. They have some, but not very many. I would argue that capitalism is a major cause of mental health problems <clears throat> because I mean, you know, you, you have a system where you can like, you know, every, you basically everything that goes wrong is just your fault. Like, let's just say, and it's on you. Like, let's say, you know, the economy is just go, you know, goes, uh, you know, goes south through no fault of your own and you're out of work. Oh, well, good luck. Better hope you find another job. You know, there's no retraining programs, whatever. Let's just say your kid gets a really horrible terminal disease and you, you know, well, man, I sure hope you can, you find some way to manage, you know, sucks to be you. I mean, you know, I, I think a society that had more, more economic safety nets, uh, you know, would have less pressure on the population. I mean, it, it's not like losing your job makes everybody crazy. It doesn't make most people crazy, but it's a big stressor. And if you apply a stressor to 100 million people, you know, some of them are going to break. 
I don't know. I think uh, PJ Rourke had a great response to, to that. He was traveling throughout the Scandinavian countries, which was pretty, I think it's fair to say, fairly, fairly socialist. In the future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And socialism uh, is that everyone, you know, goods and services are equally distributed and that includes mental health. So he said in, in Norway, everyone's just a little bit crazy because they share, they share the crazy. <laughs> Isn't that just because the weather sucks? Well, that could be that you have like one minute of sunshine for six months out of the year. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Karl Marx had a solution to that. (laughs) Um, But also just the the sheer number of guns. I mean, everyone points to Australia and there's been a lot written about the, you know, they had a mass shooting guy, some asshole with a, with a, you know, assault rifle goes in semi-automatic or an automatic weapons, killed a bunch of kids. And Australia said, fuck that. We're not going to do that. They even had a conservative government in place and they just said, no, we're going to have a, like you suggested, a buyback program. Uh, and you, these kinds of weapons are not going to be tolerated in Australia. And guess what? They haven't had anything like this since. Um, I mean, of course, I mean, that is a long term kind of thing, because obviously, I mean, look, it doesn't stop incidents. Most most mass shootings actually occur with, um, you know, pistols. Right. Or like nine right, millimeters. Right. Yes. But the but the point is that, like, it reduces body counts. These really spectacular like, you know, uh, like the nightclub in uh, Miami, um, the Fusion nightclub, I think it was called. Right. Um, yeah. That place. Yeah. You know, you just you, the body counts will be lower and it's going to take a while. I mean, obviously, the country's awash in AR-15s. Uh, there's going to be, you know, you're going to have to wait for years as, you know, people don't maintain them um, and they're going to start rusting. And, you know, eventually yeah. they won't work. There won't be an immediate there. W- and I've always mentioned, you know, do you remember after Sandy Hook, they had the Million Mom March. Remember that? And I bitched about this kind of thing before. I'm going to bitch about it again. Scott, we are down to, I'm I'm going to cut you off because we are literally down to, we're about to lose it here. Okay. So I'm going to turn us off and we're just going to come right back without any interruption. Okay. All right. Well, with an interruption, but here here we go. Okay. So so where were you? I was saying that, you know, I've bitched about it before. I'll bitch about it again. And, and, and that is repeal of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is pretty rock solid, in my view, that gun ownership in America is is part of the Bill of Rights. And so how do you combat that? The only way to combat it, Ted, in any meaningful way is to get rid of the Second Amendment. Let's repeal it. And that means going state by state, having a thing that says, you know, the federal government or government shall have the right to, uh, you know, uh, regulate uh, firearms. You know, or something as something as basic or as simple. Well, as basically, that. the right is not the the right is no longer uh, guaranteed under the Constitution. Yes, that well, you can regulate it. I mean, and so that's um, that to me. And they've never done that. They had the million man million mom march, and oh woo woo woo. Um, we've had the anti Trump marches that lasted a year. We are an ADD nation. We can't stick to it. You talk, and I what triggered me here is that you talked about the patience needed in terms of. Um, the attrition of of that will be necessary to get rid of guns in, in our culture. Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight, um, unless you have some some draconian kind of measure. And I don't think you. Yeah, we're not going to go. We're not going to. We're not sending stormtroopers door to door to search people's homes for guns. Exactly, because that would violate the uh, Fourth Amendment. <laughs> yes, which I do like. <laughs> uh, Second Amendment made sense at the time, but it doesn't make sense now. And using it as cover for that some asshole in rural Idaho can have five bazillion rifles and guns uh, doesn't make any sense to me. And it doesn't, you know, in the light of day, I don't think it would make sense to any, you know, common sense person. 
But my point is the people who are mortified, and you should be by what happened at, uh, at uh, Rob Elementary School there in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, if you really want to have true change, if you really believe this, then you have to settle down and, and do the hard work. And nobody in this country wants to do the hard work or the long haul. Could you imagine if... if but Scott, now let's not, I will say now, let's look at the politics of this, right? So the practical fact is to amend the constitution, you have to have uh, two thirds of the state legislatures, right. 38 states have to, the state legislatures have to uh, vote. I don't know. Is it just the state house or is it the state house and the state Senate? I don't remember. You know, I don't know. That's a great question. I, I wish we were. We should look uh, that up. Yeah. But anyway, the thing is, it's to, uh, you need to, but basically you need, and I think, I'm not sure if the governor has to sign off on it or not, but I don't think so, but I could be wrong. But anyway, you need 38 states to, uh, to, 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 uh, to vote, to repeal, um, you know, like ERA is pretty close. We're at like 35 or 36 states for the ERA. Yeah. Um, so, no, I think it passed. I think it, it actually got the number it needed, but it just because it got hung up in Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. There was some sort of timing issue, right? Yeah, like which there's is a question weird. as to whether or not you there's a time limit for ratification of an am amendment or not. So obviously amendments look. So first of all, there's that. L look, it's hard to imagine in this country um, that you would be able to get 38 states, considering how many states are rural and, and have a lot of gun owners to do this. Okay, so that's the first thing. It's hard. It's also uh, the Second Amendment is not like repealing the 18th Amendment, which was prohibition. Um, you know, prohibition was passed and then it was repealed. Uh, in this case, you're talking about this is in the Bill of Rights. It's OG. You know, it goes back to 1789. Uh, you know, so that's that's never been done. The uh, Bill of Rights has has been considered sacrosanct. It's like it's like the tablets brought down by Moses. Um, so you know, there's so there's that. I think the politics of it are are pretty much damn close to impossible. But you would certainly you could start that conversation. Maybe it's a it's something that wouldn't come to fruition for years, but you could start it you could have states start to vote on this. You could start yes. the process. Right exactly. now, there's no discussion. Ultimately, that should be the, the if you're an anti-gun activist, I am not, but if you are, that should be all, your ultimate goal. So don't pussyfoot around it. You're not gonna, you can't, and they've tried for years, Ted. We're not going to take your gun away. Why the fuck not? Do you really need a missile launcher? You really I mean, don't. It's true. Do you look, need a grenade look at a, launcher? Look at, look at the pro-life movement. They have been working for 50 years to overturn Roe v. Wade, and now they're about to succeed. Uh, they worked patiently, methodically at the yeah. local and state level. Uh, they have been diligent. They've done been all the things that liberal Democrats are not. They've been consistent, hardworking, they've got, patient. They've, and they've dealt lost. with setbacks. They yes. Have. And, and they're about to win. And, you know, I'm not going to make any this. We've talked about this the abortion on, on other podcasts, and this is not where we're going to talk about it. But the point is, tactically, you have to admire their grit or look at the Republican Party, uh, the conservative movement after the defeat of Goldwater in 1964. They decided they were going to take over the country, starting at the school board level. Yeah. And, and they yeah. were going to build it up. And then, you know, that culminated with the election of Ronald Reagan. And I would argue uh, with the election of Donald Trump. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.
and continues. I mean, they now have a voice. They have a seat at the table. It's bizarre. And that happened in 1964, right? So, I mean, this is three generations. I would say it happened, I would say it happened in 1948 with Taft, Howard Taft's son, who was the governor of Ohio, who mm-hmm. was, it was a choice between, no, I'd say 52, actually, it was a choice between him and Eisenhower. And the, and the, the statists went with Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. He served two successful terms as president, of course. But Taft, the, the, the Republic, the conservative wing of that party, Never gave up, never stopped trying to agitate for for control. And, you know, if you if you have a a vision that takes you 50 years down the road, 100 years down the road, you're a statesman. If you're looking at something for the next election, you're a hack. That's true. Then you're Rahm Emanuel. Um, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well put. So. All right. So. So. okay. so I think we've pretty much. do we have more to say on this or are we? Like- no, I think we can go on to talk about other things, other gun oh. control, other guns. Other, yes, we are. Weapons. So uh, so now we're going to talk. We're going to come back and talk about Ukraine. Ukraine, 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 Ukraine for something. And for our last segment, we will talk about Ukraine. Um, you know, a topic that has sort of um, fallen a little bit out of the news, because as you're <laughs> fond of pointing out, <laughs> Americans have no attention span whatsoever. At all. Um, no. So Russia invaded Ukraine way back. Uh, when was it? March 24th. Uh, and it's yes. been just over two months since that happened. Um I would say, you know, like all the uh, bullshit aside from uh, corporate media uh, and uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I should remind listeners that I do draw cartoons and contribute columns to Sputnik News, which is Russian state media. Um, But I do think that in the uh, I do think that uh, with despite all the hype about how the Ukrainians, uh, you know, sort of outperformed expectations, the fact is, I think Ukraine is losing right now, um, and I, I, you know, you're not going to hear much of that from corporate media. But no, they, but they're not doing well. They have lost um, key cities now. The movements in the east much slower than anyone expected. Um, the but there, here's the thing: the advance is slowing. Now listen to that sentence. That sounds fantastic. They've slowed the advance. It's still an advance. And right. I don't say this with any pleasure or any joy. I, I want the. It's like it's like the metastas. It's like your cancer is metastasizing more slowly than before. Right, but it's still metastasizing, and that's where we are with this war right now. Is that the Ukrainians are putting up a hell of a fight? Um, United States clearly sending in a but you know boatload of weapons from the West are flooding in, uh, and I think that's helping it to a great degree. But ultimately, not to mention also training and all sorts of intelligence, uh, you know, a lot of intelligence information, for example, the sinking of the Russian ship, uh, that big, the Moskva, uh, that was the targeting uh, information was provided by the United States. Right. And we're obvious, and we're giving them satellite uh, information and we're training them to we're sending a whole bunch of new missile systems. What could go wrong there? Um, but I. I Looking at this thing, obviously, I'm rooting for the Ukrainians. I think most people are. You'd love to have seen this rocky win. The fact of the matter is it's not happening. And so what happens then? Gee, Ted, we've never seen this before. And someone who's an ally of the United States, and they're not even an ally, by the way, but let's ignore, you know, 
facts for just a moment. Uh, you know, they're like we, buds. Yeah, we're like <laughs> we're like di- we're dudes. They're, man. They're, we're, buds. we're dudes. We're, yeah, I like buds. I like buds. <laughs> or friends with benefits. <laughs> I mean, so when America's allies and friends and buds stop start losing the war, we tend to try to pile on and give. Oh wait, you know what they need more of? Troops. You know what they need more of? Missiles, bombs, airplane. Well, we, I don't think. I, I mean, I, I've been proven wrong about this war uh, a bit, quite more than for most issues, and uh, so I could be wrong here. But I, I find it very difficult to imagine any scenario in which the United States would send ground forces to support Ukraine. No, but um, where the fuck is the United Nations? I mean, I've got to be honest with you. That's one of those that I'm still a head scratcher, a sovereign nation that the United Nations recognizes the borders and those borders get, uh, you know, tromped on by the uh, by Russia. About well, where, where was the United Nations in the Iraq war? Well, that's true. I mean, really, if you think about it, you're absolutely right. I mean, or the Afghanistan war. And it just goes to show that people like me who wailed against the U.N. as, as a sort of impotent stupid institution that spends a great deal of money for no gain should just go away and that that wouldn't, wouldn't that be a great to have an apartment in that building in new york you know i was just biking by that building uh just last week and uh i was it has an amazing view it's not a very good looking building it's kind of it's kind of remarkably ugly building really but it does have a great view of the east river and queens so if you yeah. face the right direction actually it has a good view of manhattan too so you know yeah yeah. No, it's got to, it's, 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 it's a, it'd be a great apartment or condos. But they would be, it would only be for super rich people. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's just, just a statement of fact. We could turn it into <laughs> affordable, affordable housing. <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> In Manhattan, affordable That would housing. happen. So, I, okay. The long point made even longer. Um, yeah. What, where, where are we with on Ukraine? I mean, said you said they're losing it. Can you, can you quantify that? I mean, like, okay, so I know this is, uh, there are historical counterfactuals like World War One, which was fought entirely on French territory, and yet Germany lost. Um, you know, of course, you know, the Germans refused to accept that famously, and there were consequences to that. Um, but mostly when the war is being fought on your territory, like, say, the Civil War, uh, you know, which was fought almost entirely in Southern territory, um, you know, you're losing. Um, and the and and currently, not only that, the United, uh, the, you know, the Russians have consolidated uh, the territories that they already uh, controlled: Crimea, D- Donetsk, and Luhansk. Uh, they've expanded that territory into a buffer zone you know, throughout the Donbas. They now control uh, the key port city of Mariupol. Uh, they have recently captured another smaller port, but important port city. Um, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, well, forget pretty clear. It is 100% uh, clear that the Biden administration will never give the, the, the Ukrainians enough firepower or weapons or, or su- much less supportive U.S. ground troops that will actually che- be, allow them to expel the Russians from Ukrainian territory. That will never happen because to do so would risk World War III. So the, all this is going to do, the, the weapons that are coming in will prolong the inevitable, but it will, it will be, it is, the inevitable is the inevitable because it's inevitable. So I think we're going to end up at <laughs> I like a point, your logic. Thank you. Uh, I went to college and everything. Uh, they're they're going to, I think we're, we're just going to end up at a, uh, you know, in a place 
where Russia controls eastern and southern uh, and southeastern Ukraine. Um, and the Ukrainian government, the rump Ukrainian government, controls uh, western Ukraine and Kyiv. And that'll be it. Um, there's not going to be, and at some point, uh, you know, Zelensky's already conceded this. There's going to have to be a there's going to have to be peace talks. There's going to have to be a diplomatic solution. Um, he has said that he's only willing, and I think rightly so, to speak to President Vladimir Putin. Uh, they should speak president to president. They're going to have to like come to terms. I think in the end, Ukraine will end up having to concede to uh, all of the things that Russia wanted from the very beginning. Russia wanted Donetsk and Luhansk. They wanted uh, those to be autonomous, but not part of Russia. They want Crimea to remain, uh, Ukraine to acknowledge that Crimea is formally annexed to Russia. Uh, they wanted uh, Ukraine to commit not to join NATO, which is an easy promise to make because NATO has not invited them to join. And uh, most importantly to Russia, that they agree, Ukraine and Russia formally in writing agree not to view each other as adversaries. I can imagine a fifth, ter a fifth term, which might be sort of some sort of demilitarized zone between uh, uh, North, between uh, Eastern and Western Ukraine. But Basically, that's the outcome that that Putin wanted from the very beginning. And, you know, I mean, so by definition, the you know, when your adversary gets what they want and you don't get anything you wanted, you've lost. No, I, I, I agree. Sadly, I think that that but looking at the boots on the ground, you're right. Americans are losing interest. That's not over yet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, and also let's face it. I mean, you know, you, you, Russia didn't really give, I mean, yeah, they underperformed the troops that they sent to say the least, but they didn't really, you know, give it their all either. I mean, it's like the elementary school try, you know, I mean, they only sent a hundred thousand troops in the initial, in the initial invasion force. It was kind of like one of these, like, Hey, uh, you know, I can half-ass this invasion. Like it's a side project. You know, I've got a big country to run and uh, I, I'm not, you know, it's like if I can do this easily, I'll do it. If I, you know, if I can't do it easily, I'm not going to do it at all. Right now, I would say it's been easy. I mean, if you're, if you're the Russians, your biggest problem are these fucking sanctions. But the war, the war has gone well. I mean, it's like, think about it. Yeah. Like, two, oh, come on. Two and a half months, you got everything that you got everything you wanted. You didn't lose that many troops. Why are you unhappy? You, you, you know, I think he lost. We don't know what the troop loss is. It seems significant. And on, in terms and they also clearly were headed towards they wanted to take Kiev, Kiev, I guess, is the Ukrainian pronunciation. Um, they wanted I mean, and that they failed miserably at that. Uh, the actions on the western part of Ukraine have, have been not I mean, they're inching forward in some of the port towns. But for the most part, I'd say this is not a successful campaign. It's successful in that the messiness of war, and you've seen it firsthand, Ted, I have not. But my understanding is it's pretty gross and pretty messy. And, and, and pointless. But, and pointless. But after the smoke clears on that scene, we're going to be left with exactly what you just described, which is Russian control of the eastern part of, of the Ukraine, uh, Crimea, uh, they're going to have, they are going to establish a land route between Russia and Crimea. It's, you know, it's so. And the I United States and the United States will be uh, lighter by, uh, you know, 60 or $70 billion. 80 uh, billion at least. And then an additional seven to seven to $900 million. Uh, and so, yeah, so close to, yeah. Close I to, mean, 
over 80. How will, how will the Biden administration and corporate media that has been so in the tank for Ukraine, how are they going to spin this? Uh, you know, this embarrassing defeat, you know, I mean, they got ahead of their story, like we're winning, the Ukrainians are going to win, no question about it, boy is, you know, they were talking about how uh, Putin's, Putin's uh, might be overthrown in a coup by his own military, because they were so angry, none of that's going to happen. And then, you know, Putin's going to come out of this with everything that he wanted. Well, the latest is that Putin is sick, right? You've heard the yeah, yeah, that that's, there's no that's I mean, if that that might be true in the same way that anything could be true, but there's no evidence for it at all. No, but they do report it as if it's fact that. You know, yes. A, a, an American, a, a retired intelligence officer has said that it is an, it's 100 it's percent certain that he has some kind of cancer. Yeah, that 100 percent certain. There's no there's no I mean, maybe, but I I'd be surprised. He's a very healthy dude. Not that healthy dudes haven't gotten cancer. But, you know, uh, before we before we uh, wrap this up, I, I was curious, um, you know, we, there's two been two sort of major legal um, div, uh, cases that are kind of coming up. Yesterday, one came to a conclusion and, and one's probably going to come to a conclusion today. I was wanted to just get your thoughts on them, Scott. Uh, one is the uh, the Michael Sussman trial. Um, the, Michael Sussman, who is the attorney who uh, gave uh, documents that purportedly tied Donald Trump's 2016 campaign to Russia. Um, and these documents turned out to be, let's just say, not true. Um, the, he, Michael Sussman was uh, a Hillary Clinton campaign lawyer. He billed Hillary Clinton, Clinton for the time that he spent yeah, uh, yeah. meeting with the FBI. The FBI was angry to have been duped. And, uh, and so that led to uh, charges being filed by the DOJ. Um, Sussman walked yesterday. Uh, the jury found him not guilty. Uh, a juror uh, said that he had not, th th that, the, that the grounds just hadn't been, the elements hadn't been met for the jury. Um, you know, any thoughts about that? Yeah, it's disappointing, obviously. I think that the whole Russia gate uh, thing is just a, such a blight. And it looks like it was run pretty much by Hillary. I mean, it was her idea. She pushed it. Um, Sussman, don't forget, I mean, that whole, have you followed that that trial, Ted? It's it's really kind of grotesque. There's apparently two or three jurors who had very tight uh, relationships with the DNC and with Hillary's uh, campaign. I mean, they should never have been seated, let alone. It's absurd. Once this became, came to light. So, yeah, I mean, the, 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 this is when people look at a system and we wonder, why don't people have more faith in the system? Because yeah, well, I would say he's guilty. I mean, he is guilty. But let me ask you this. And we've had this discussion. I know I've had this discussion with you off air, but uh, off podcast, but I'll do it on, on. Why is lying to the FBI a federal crime? Well, that's a good uh, question. I mean, I feel like you're not under oath. You're I not feel like constitutionally, it, it does seem wrong. Right. I mean, it's there. Should, I don't know. If, I assume this has been tested by someone who's been convicted and has take, tried to take this to the U.S. Supreme Court. I don't know why. And why does the FBI have special status? I mean, for example, you know, lying to the SEC, I don't believe is a uh, is a federal crime. I can um, lie to a cop. Do you know how fast you're going? No, sir. Right. <laughs> of course, right. you know how fast you're going. Well, actually, you don't really know because your your speedometer may or may not be accurate and but properly you know. calibrated. You have an idea. You know. So, yeah. So. 
I, I think it helps this the, uh, trials like the Sussman trial. Uh, again, I have issues with it's against the law. It's a federal crime to lie to the FBI. Uh, even However, this is a little, you know, let's face it, this is a little different than just like, uh, you know, federal agents came to your door and they're like, Ted, do you know, uh, we're looking for this guy, Scott Stantis, do you know where he is? And it's, I, I say, no, I've have never heard of a Scott Stantis. He is a, he sounds like a magnificent person, but I've never seen him. <laughs> and then um, there's a big difference between that and doing what Sussman did. Sussman arranged a meeting with the DOJ. Uh, you know, went to the FBI and said, boy, have I got something hot for you. And then turned over thumb drives full of data that was fraudulent and tried to con them into basically flipping a national presidential election. That's, that's very, you know, that's not just lying to the FBI. I mean, I mean, that's, uh, that's literally like fucking with the FBI. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But again, okay. Let's let's put that aside for a moment and just say that. The, but to seat the jurors that they sat, even do, if they do you think know, that do you think that was determinative in the end? It was oh just God, basically the, the fix was in, and that was it. Yeah, you've been in a group of people. You know, if there's two people who are going, oh, Ted Rawl absolutely should go to jail, and and the other person goes, yeah, I think so too. That has you know an effect on the rest of the group. They're gonna go, really? You think that? Oh, absolutely. And then they vote, and they Ted Rawls in jail. No, no, it's no question. It's like it, it's like when you uh, look at it, you know, sort of like uh, the, the, the members of a committee will determine kind of like how many, you know, how many people are, uh, you know, they'll determine the outcome. Right. Like you can tell, uh, like in the Pulitzers, depending on who's on the board, uh, who's on the board, you, yeah. that will help determine who wins. Um, so the other What's question, the other Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp. Or I should say, Depp, Depp versus Heard. Um, the jury is deliberating. Um, they we could expect a, a, a verdict was expected yesterday, but one did not come down. Um, I have thought all along that long deliberations would favor Depp, um, and the, in fact, the jury sent out a question yesterday saying that I think the odds are hard for Depp. Defamation is, as I know painfully, is very, very difficult to prevail in a U.S. court. But I think he's things are looking pretty good for him right now. Uh, she, they sent out a question about the headline in the story, asking if um, the headline was a statement or whether mm-hmm. it was it should be interpreted as uh, being the entirety of the article. Sort of a, by the way, it sort of shows you that. Uh, modern juries don't really understand journalism. Uh, <laughs> one one question that that like I think did not I have not seen covered is like who wrote the headline. I mean, it appeared in the Washington Post. Normally, the writer of an article, an op-ed piece, does not write the headline. Right. I'm sure right. Amber Heard did not choose the headline. So no, yeah, well, that's because well, I mean, how many times as editorial cartoonists have our cartoons gotten us in trouble, and we're not the ones who are contacted for comment. Hmm. That's happened to me a dozen times, at least in my career. They so if I were heard, I would, the defense would be like, hey, uh, take it up with the Washington Post. Don't take it up with me uh, on the exactly. headline. Yeah. But there's still these other statements. There's specific statements in the piece. It's very interesting because in my defamation case against the L.A. Times, we didn't we didn't go after action on specific statements. We went after the entire the overall gist of the articles uh, in the case in this case. Depp is suing over specific statements. Uh, I wonder if that's because it's federal court and it's different 
than uh, state court? I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. And frankly, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the jury is going to make of of those two. I think the, the, her attorney is, is was bananas. I mean, that was really interesting to watch when you have jo- Johnny Depp, who, you know, if you know, looking at you like, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> you know that yeah, it's something weird is going on. Well, Johnny, um, Johnny Depp has clearly won the court of public opinion. There's no question there. Yes. And you and I talked about, I think it was very telling. We talked about how he was abused. Uh, NPR, I forgot to mention this in one of our other podcasts, but NPR did an article or did a story rather about Depp's chart claiming he was the abused party. And they had some person on who was like, say, that can't be true. That's what that's what the perpetrators do. They use this clo- cloak to make it sound as if the the abuse was actually the abuser. I'm going, no, he made it pretty clear that he was abused. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's right. Uh, and the fact that he stood up and what I found shocking to she took a shit on his bed and she and she cut off his finger. <laughs> well, who amongst us? You know, we, <laughs> We have passionate relationships, Ted. You know that can happen. Sure, that's why that's why we all have the 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 tenth, uh, you know, spare tr- sing, spare finger, the so called <laughs> trash finger. It's just, but the story was just what was fascinating to me was it was two fem- two women reporters talking, and how they totally like said there's no way Depp's telling it, you know that he could be the abused party here. No way, can't happen. It's always men, 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 men. Always men. Yeah. Always white men, particularly, but always men. And um, so how's this going to turn? I mean, you could see it. You could see a jury come back and say, no, nah, this, this doesn't really reach that. I mean, you and you know, I think that's the most likely outcome I thought from the very beginning was just that uh, the jury is going to rule, uh, you know, not guilty on both the claim and and her counterclaim against him. Uh, counterclaims are always kind of like ignored and they're kind of a joke. Um, but I, I think she's but I don't know. I mean, I'd say he's uh, you know, he's in the race right now. Yeah, I mean, he, if he if he walks away with a victory, then I hope that it opens up dialogue on the issue of of of, of abuse and men being abused by women. Yeah, uh, and because it's interesting because that's not really what the case is about. It's a defamation claim, but I guess it came down to truth is the ultimate defense against defamation, and the question then becomes who was telling the truth. Was right. she telling the truth in this piece? Uh, you know, I mean, one of the most, I will say, I don't think her defense team did itself any favors by attempting to argue that the the piece wasn't necessarily about him because it didn't mention him by name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's insulting the jury's intelligence. And I think, you know, they probably lost a lot of credibility from the start right there. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I, 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 more importantly, and yeah, you're right. It's not the focus of the case, but I do hope it opens up that this discussion and it has, I think, um, you know, for sure you're, you're start. I mean, I mean, it's, it's an absurd, it's an absurdity to think that like, you know, only men can abuse women. Like why? I mean, there's, you know, it's just those kind of like arguments just don't make any sense at all on their face. I can't believe that people ever, you know, give them credence, much less on reputable national radio networks, as yeah, you mentioned. Wow. Well, anyway, that. believe it or not, we're about to time out again, uh, according to our overlords at Zoom. So, Scott, <laughs> where can everybody find your cartoons and other work? 
very quickly, you can go to gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis, all one word, or go to gocomics.com slash Prickly City and see my internationally syndicated comic strip. You can go to chicagotribune.com slash opinion and see a gallery of the work I do for them. And you can also go to Counterpoint and subscribe. And you know you want to. They have some of the best cartoonists in the country in a newsletter. Ted Rawl and I are part of that. And there you go. Ted, where can we find you? In fact, today's edition is Scott versus Ted. Uh, I think Scott may have won. He had the he had the funnier. He had a much better cartoon than I did. Oh, today. thank you. No, I thought yours was really good too. <laughs> <laughs> but well, thank you. Um, so uh, you can find me at gocomics.com/slash Ted Rawl. One word. Also, you can go to rawl.com, r-a-l-l.com. You can also go to whowhatwhy.org on Saturdays, but they have good content throughout the week. So uh, don't wait till Saturday. And you can go to sputniknews.com usually on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but that varies from week to week. You might find it interesting because there's, you know, definitely a very different take from what you will find on American media. Yes, very. And so uh, anyway, so with that, Scott, as always a pleasure. Uh, Thank you everyone for listening to episode number 51 of the DMZ America podcast. We'll see you next week unless something breaks. Uh, And maybe even if something breaks and we're just too lazy to do it until next week, either way, see you then probably. Well, we won't see you because this is an audio, audio medium, but whatever. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Ted. Talk to you later. Bye.